All right. How is everybody doing? Okay, yeah. It is a pleasure to be with you all. I would like to, uh, I'd like to begin by saying thank you. Thank you to Chuck for that kind introduction and uh, for being willing to meet with a, a total stranger in a coffee shop that got all of this, uh, got all of this rolling. And uh, I'd like to thank the elders here, of course, as well, for allowing me to come and speak to you all tonight. Um, I wanted to thank Kyle uh, Wadley. Uh, I'm disappointed he isn't here tonight. I met Kyle for lunch a couple of months ago as well, and he asked me if I had uh, any children. I said, I do. I have a two-year-old. He said, perfect. I have a CD for you. Uh, all right, you, got, you guys are familiar with the CD, it appears. He didn't give me one CD, he gave me three CDs, uh, one for the grandparents and one for a friend of mine. And um, my two-year-old absolutely loved it, uh, still loves it. Uh, I have not listened to ESPN radio in about eight weeks now, but I uh, have a fairly good grasp on the books of the Bible and the fruits of the Spirit, and so it's been a pretty good uh, trade, I suppose. Uh, this evening, I want us to do three things together. I hope that we're all able to uh, be informed, uh, more informed about what the Lord's Church is doing all over the world uh, through Healing Hands International. I want us to get excited about the opportunities that we have, not only to help improve the lives of people all over the world, but also to grow the Lord's Church. And I want each and every single one of us in here to be called to action, to be called to some sort of action. Um, I don't want us to just get excited about it. I want us to do something and improve the lives of, uh, of these kids and to grow this church. How many of you have uh, ever heard of Healing Hands International? Okay, a few. All right, perfect, perfect. Well, good. Well, you're about to really have heard about us. Uh, I always like to begin by asking you all a question. Now, what I want to do is I want to ask the question first, give you the three potential answers, and then I'm going to repeat it, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand when you hear what you think is the correct answer, all right? In the past 20 years, the number of people living in extreme poverty has either A, doubled, B, remained the same, or C, been cut in half, all right? Everyone understand? Everyone with me? All right, here we go again. In the past 20 years, the number of human beings living on planet Earth who are living in extreme poverty, U.S. $1 a day or less, has nearly doubled. Can I see your hands? Okay, that's a lot of you. Has remained the same. Can I see your hands? And has been cut in half. Can I see those hands? Oh, man, it's almost always one brave gentleman. This evening we have two. So that's double. Make it three, coming in late there. Yes, the correct answer is C. It is C. Oh, man, I told you we were going to get excited. We got about a billion people just lifted out of poverty here uh, in, in our collective uh, consciousness here at Hoover. That's great. Yeah, the correct answer is C. Uh, but no one knows that, I don't think. <laughs> I've, been, uh, I've been asking that question at every church I've spoken at, and 98% at least, 98% think that it's, it's getting worse, that the world's getting worse, that all over the world that, that things are, are bad, but it's just not really the case. Um, well, I stand corrected there, just let me correct myself. It's bad, but it's getting better. It's getting better every single day. Um, in fact, there could be a headline this morning that said 138,000 people was lifted out of poverty today 
and it would be true. And in fact, that could have been the same headline for the past 25 years, and it would be true. But for some reason, that's never made the news, and so we've had a billion people escape poverty without any of us really even noticing it. But I think it's important for us to know that because I want us to know that there are things that we can do that actually work, that actually improve the lives of people. And I want us to know that the church is involved in doing those things and that that's something you can engage in and participate in and you can make a very real difference in this world. Oh, there we go. All right. Healing Hands International is a, we're a nonprofit organization. We are a Church of Christ based organization out of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, we've been around since 1991. Our vision is a world uh, full of hope where physical needs are met and hearts are surrendered to Jesus. And our motto is aid, equip, and empower. Um, in situations like Puerto Rico, we're there to provide disaster relief. We're there to aid uh, the people in need. Um, on a daily basis all over the world, we work to equip folks who, who have very tough living situations and try to improve their lives. And we also want to empower those people to tell their neighbors and to teach those around them so that this work can be sustainable and that it can grow. The probably number one way we do that, it's our biggest effort, is through clean water. Uh, I apologize if I get a little emotional here, I always do. Clean water is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, in fact, I was actually in Haiti on doing some things with clean water is where I actually discovered Healing Hands International. I saw their drilling rig there and the work that they were doing and instantly fell in love with them. Um, just imagine for a moment, if you can, uh, just think about today, how often you used clean water. I'm gonna guess most of you got up and you probably brushed your teeth and you probably took a shower and maybe used the restroom and flushed it and probably drank some water, maybe cooked with some water. Can you imagine what your life would look like just your daily routine if you did not have clean water. As of today, that's the story for approximately 750 million people on the planet. No access to clean water whatsoever. Many of them have never seen it. And so what they do is every single day that they wake up, they walk outside and they pick up a jerry can or bucket or whatever they have, and they walk to whatever the nearest water source happens to be. Usually it's women, and more often than not, it's children. The average distance that they walk every single day is four miles. I can give you an antidote. Um, a few years ago, we were in Haiti. We were driving our truck uh, somewhere, I don't remember where, very rural part of Haiti. And we see these two kids, it was these two young men, probably eight years old, carrying jerry cans of water. The jerry can itself probably weighed about 40 pounds. And I'm not exaggerating. I, I could not carry this jerry can half a mile. I don't know how these kids do it. I suppose just when you have to, that's what you do. These kids are carrying this jerry can. We stopped and we asked them if they wanted a ride back to their home. And they said they did. And we drove them five miles one direction. So that morning, those two young men had gotten up and they had walked five miles one way to pick up about 40 pounds of water and then they're going to walk it back five miles to their house. 
And that's what their whole family is going to use that day. And tomorrow they're going to do it again. The next day they're going to do it again. Now, I often have conversations with people who have never been to Haiti, who've never been to rural Africa or India or China, but know how to fix those places. <laughs> they know how to fix Haiti. Those are my favorite kind of people, by the way. Those are always very uh, enjoyable conversations. And uh, there's always very profound statements like, they just need to work harder. You know, if the people in Haiti would just work harder, they could just lift themselves up out of, you know, the poverty that they're in. Or if the people in, you know, Kenya or Uganda or Ethiopia, if they just, you know, develop the kind of work ethic that we have here, maybe, then they would be able to uh, live better lives. Um, I don't know how hard some of you work. Uh, I can tell you I've never walked 10 miles to bring water for my family, particularly when I was a small kid hear all the time about how, you know, if we could just, if these kids could just learn, you know, if they could just get an education, they could learn English and learn math and learn how to read, and then they could develop a job skill, and then they could just get jobs, you know, if they could just get jobs. And I, I hear that. I understand the reason behind that, but I ask you, you tell me, how does an eight-year-old, you know, when does he learn to read when he walks 10 miles a day to get water for his family? It starts with water. We have to solve this problem. Not only are they walking a long way, not only is the walk often dangerous, but the water they get is the most dangerous. That's a picture that we took. That's a, that's a water source in Haiti. That's another one. Those are, those are just pictures that our team have taken while they're there just driving around. I mean, it's, if you've ever been there, you know. It's everywhere you go. It's every street. You, you will see something that looks virtually like that. Every single day out of that 750 million that don't have clean water, we lose 6,000 of them to the water that they drink. Of that 6,000, 90% of them are children ages 5 and under. They die of diarrhea. They die of cholera. They die of other bacteria that they get from the water that they drink. Uh, as I told you, I have a 2-year-old. She is uh, my favorite kid on the planet. She's so adorable. She's cute. She's hilarious. Uh, she's just now starting to get her own personality, which... Uh, has been a fun little adventure for me and I love her to death and I cannot imagine uh, if she had to drink water like that now I've seen her drink water like that <laughs> many of you who have two-year-olds can relate or have ever had a two-year-old can relate uh, and you know what I did I ran to her as quickly as I could to get her away from it and explain to her why we don't drink water that looks like that can you imagine if she had to drink that every day? I hate dirty water. I do. I absolutely hate it. Uh, it's the, one of the deadliest killers we've had in the history of our world. And the thing about it that may be the most frustrating for me is that we're not waiting on a cure. You know, it's the easiest problem in the world we have to fix. The only thing you do is you go there and you drill a well. 
You go to the village, you drill a well, and suddenly they have clean water. You know, they don't keep walking to get dirty water once they have clean water. They just walk outside, they go to the other side of the yard, and they get clean water. And they look like that. And that. And I absolutely love that picture right there. So far at uh, Healing Hands, we've drilled, um, well, in April, we drilled our 1,000th well. Uh, that's what the church has been able to do through Healing Hands. That's brought water to somewhere in the tune of 2 million people. It's not 750 million, but it is a pretty good start. And I'm so excited for where we have to go from here. This gentleman right here is named Dr. Charles. Dr. Charles runs that clinic right there. It's in a village called Cafe Mardi Gras. It's about 20 miles from Port-au-Prince, but it's, uh, it's 20 miles, but it takes us four hours to get there in a drilling rig. So that's just to give you a bit of an idea of what the condition of the roads are uh, in this part of the world. We, uh, we met with Dr. Charles in September of 2017 and we asked him how things were going. He said every single day, just about in his clinic, he deals with cholera. He deals with small children who show up every day who are sick with cholera because of the water that they drink. Now, if you're not familiar with cholera, it is a very nasty disease. The way you get cholera is from drinking water that has fecal matter in it. And so a lot of these water sources are shared with cows and goats and what they leave behind, and that's what the kids drink, and it makes them sick, and it can often be deadly. He said every day he's dealing with kids with cholera, and he's dealing with kids with diarrhea. It's all he can do is kids because of the water that they drink. And we said, you know what, that's really not good enough because we have the resources to do something about this problem, and we have the desire to do something about it, and we were there partnering with the local church, and we said, you know what, we're going to do something about it. And so we did what we called a saturation drilling. We went into every single area uh, that we could find in this village to drill a well. And that's what we did. And so that was September of 17. In April of this year, we went back and we met with Dr. Charles again. And we asked him how things have progressed since the water wells. He's dealing with one cholera case. He said it has not seen a single kid show up with diarrhea. That is the impact, that's the difference that the Lord's Church can have in Haiti, it can have in Africa, and in India, and in Southeast Asia, all over the world. The only thing that uh, we need is for enough folks here to, um, to care and to make some sacrifices and decide this is going to be something we're going to tackle. Global economists have been saying for three decades now that we could end the water crisis, we could lift everyone up off of level one uh, level one incomes off of the extreme poverty if those in the West could somehow manage to give 1% of their income to solving the problem. Uh, we haven't gotten close. Uh, the U.S. is given about 0.22%. Um, I don't know what all states can do and what governments can do and what all these big-time NGOs, I don't know what all they can do. I really don't have any idea. But I am very confident in what the church can do. I love the church, 
I think that the church can tackle this. I don't know that we have the resources to end the water crisis overnight, but I sure know that we can do a lot of good and help a lot of people. Now, the reason I am here, one, uh, one avenue that we use, uh, one of our funding mechanisms for our water program is a program called Walk for Water. Easiest concept in the world. Uh, you're probably all very familiar with it. Basically, we show up, we walk four miles. As I told you before, that's the distance that young people are walking all over the world to get water, and we're tired of them having to walk. And so we say, we're gonna walk so that they don't have to. We walk four miles, we raise money, all of the money goes to drilling wells. Um, there's, no, there's no fee, there's no, you don't pay to register, or, you know, to register or anything like that. You just show up if you wanna show up, and you give what you wanna give, and that's how it works. And we, sh we show up, members of Healing Hands will be there, I'll be there for, for your walk, and um, we're gonna do a little talk, we're gonna have some clean water filters and do a little demonstration those things, by the way, I don't know if you got, some of you are like extreme campers and you have ever heard of these Sawyer water filtration systems. It's one of the coolest things I've ever seen in the world. Uh, we'll do a little demonstration with it. In places like, say what happened in Puerto Rico happened where they might not need a well, but they need clean water or in areas that we can't drill for whatever reason, we distribute these clean uh, water filtration systems. And we're gonna take a bucket and throw mud in it and throw some sticks in it and throw some pine cones in it and stir it all up and it's gonna be as gross as anything you've ever seen. And we'll put that filter on it and it'll come out like Dasani. It's a really cool thing and the kids are gonna love it and it's gonna be a lot of fun. And our goal, uh, when I spoke with Chuck, I don't know if we even set an initial goal when we first started talking. A lot of walks will set a goal for $7,500 because that's what it costs to sponsor a well in Haiti, $7,500. And uh, so that was kind of the initial number that maybe I, maybe I had thrown out. Uh, let's see if we can do that. And as Chuck said, uh, you have some several other uh, churches here in the area who are on board. I know Asheville Road is on board and um, Palisades is on board. And I think Deerfoot's gonna be there and hopefully River Chase and some others. Um, but I have a feeling that initial goal may have been a little, uh, uh, not, uh, maybe not, not enough faith on my end to even mention that number. Um, I was at Asheville Road uh, last Sunday and did the presentation and spoke and talked about the walk. And uh, Asheville Road had set their own goal of $7,500. And uh, after the service, a nice gentleman walked up to me and handed me a check and, and walked off. And I looked at it later, and it was for $7,500. And so uh, if nothing else happens, uh, if, you all, if not one of you show up and give a dime, we're at least going to have a, a, a well uh, out of the walk that happens in a, in a few weeks. And I'm uh, so happy that Chuck was willing to meet with me for coffee that day so that we could get that going. Uh, I told you we've drilled a thousand of them. Uh, I'm gonna keep on going and keep on talking and do everything I can until we can drill just one more. And then after that, just one more and just one more and just one more until we're done with it and we can go worry about some other problem. Uh, but I hope that you all here is it's something that you can get behind and, and something you can support uh, I mean, and we could use your prayers also. I mean, the people, these people in Haiti can use your prayers, especially in Haiti. Uh, people all over the world, but Haiti in particular could, could use your prayers uh, on this issue. Now, I am, uh, I'm a bit of a junk talker. Uh, you may have already gathered that by, by seeing me for five minutes, but I like to talk some junk. And I happen to be an Alabama fan. 
and so in about 13 days, I'm going to be totally insufferable for the next, you know, 12, 13 weeks or so. Uh, the rest of the staff, uh, most of our staff is in Nashville, and they all root for an inferior football team. Uh, and so we have had a, a fairly big rivalry uh, in that regard. And sometimes that rivalry spews over into just like Alabama versus Tennessee and, and the world in general, uh, probably my fault. And so when I started talking to them all about this walk, I said, you guys, y'all need to listen, all right? Because Hoover is a, they're a get after church and they, we already have three other churches who are, who are said they're gonna be there. I think this thing has the potential to be one of the biggest walks that we have. And I was very excited about it. And a week later, it turned into everyone else in the office saying, Colton thinks the Alabama walk's gonna be bigger than the Paducah walk. Uh, and so that's, uh, that's where we've been since then, which happens to be our biggest walk, which does, uh, I think they did $38,000 this year. And so, not to put any pressure on you all or anything like that, but my honor, uh, the whole state of Alabama's dignity is sort of on the line here and uh, what all that we're able to do. Um, but anyway. I really hope it's something that you, are, you guys uh, can get behind and that you can show up um, on September 21st and we can have a really cool thing. All right. Here's the other part of... Okay, I'm going to tell... I'm sorry. One quick story here. One quick story here and then we're going to close up. I just... I should not have clicked that slide. I'm sorry. I was going to end there. Jeremiah, all right, this gentleman here, He's from a village called Kissy, Kenya. He was born with no hands. His mother was told she should set him outside the village and just leave him to perish because he was a devil child, because he was born with the deformities that he has. Uh, she didn't do that, fortunately. But as you can imagine, he's grown up with some very serious you know, psychological difficulties, social difficulties, and you know, obviously physical difficulties. We did an agriculture workshop, which is another one of our ministries in Kissy, Kenya, a while back and he showed up at the time he was an alcoholic he was an abusive husband he was what many of us would probably say uh, is not worth much he showed up and he said for the first time he felt like he could really be good at something because he managed to use that tool with no hands very effectively and everyone thought it was really cool that he could do it and he got excited about it and he just fell in love with it all and he was also so enamored with the fact that these Americans, these Christians would show up and try to help them. And he could not believe that people would do that for no you know, gain of their own. And by the end of the week, he was baptized into Christ, him and a few others that were there at the workshop, and they started the Church of Christ in Kissy, Kenya. We went back to, to Kissy a little while afterward and said, what else do you guys need? Of course, they, what do you think they need? They needed a water well. That's what they wanted. They, we heard you guys do water wells. That's what we need. They've never seen clean water. That's what they wanted. It's a very challenging effort for a lot of reasons I don't want to get into, but, I mean, in Kenya, it's going to be a very deep well. It's going to, a lot of logistical problems. It's going to cost us twice as much to do a well there than what we normally do, which, as you can imagine, puts a lot of, you know, do we drill one well when we can drill two here? Uh, but these people, they just really bought in, the church there was growing. We wanted to help it grow. And we said, you know what, we're doing this. And so we were at a Christian university doing a luncheon. We pitched this effort. 120 people were there. We left with $17,000 in our hands, which was just enough to drill this well. It got completed two weeks ago. And um, 
One of Jeremiah's friends uh, was there as the, the well water come bursting forth. He just started crying. He's got one eye because I told you about a pond that they share with animals sometimes. Well, that was their water source. And in the dry season, it would often dry up. And he'd have to just walk to the next village to get water there. Uh, and as you might imagine, that village did not like people showing up to get their water. And so they took his eye out for showing up to get water there, uh, which is just part of life and, you know, all over the world. And so when he saw this water well coming up, he's 40 years old. He said he'd never seen fresh water in his life. And he broke down and he started bawling. Uh, again, just at the fact that Christians in America would care so much about this little village in Kenya that they would do that. Uh, and he was baptized on that day, which was two Sundays ago. And so uh, I was just very excited about that and I wanted to share it with you. I love what I do. I absolutely love getting to go around and talk to churches about this work, about the things that we're doing to grow the church in these areas. And not only what we're doing to help people, for me, there's a whole other component to all of this, and that's the church here in the United States, and it's myself, and it's my own family. Um, I worry about us a good bit. <laughs> I worry about myself a good bit, um, because we have our own challenges. Uh, I think there's none bigger than the fact that we're all very rich, and the New Testament talks a good bit about being rich. And sometimes I, I wonder myself if I fall into the category of the people he's talking about when he's doing his chastising. And I hope not, but I can't help but think sometimes, you know what, we sure seem to be close. Now, I want to read a passage to you all real quick, and then we're going we're gonna to close this thing out. Matthew 25, I'm going to begin in verse uh, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, he sat on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he'll separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he'll set the sheep on his right hand but the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right hand, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And I think you are probably familiar with the rest of the story as well. Now, I've been in a lot of Bible classes in my life. I was baptized at 16, so 12 years now, I've been at church every Sunday. And I've sat through a lot of classes, and I've heard a lot of classes about salvation. Uh, I imagine many of you have as well. I imagine if I were to ask you the five steps, you all could repeat them back to me. I see a lot of value in that. I do. I think that's a biblically-based uh, idea. In all of those classes, though, not once have I ever heard that scripture in Matthew 25 in which Jesus certainly seems to be sharing a story about judgment and about the way that we lived our life. And sometimes I worry that myself, my family, my friends may 
look at God in the face one day and may pull up this check sheet and say, look at all of these things. I, I, I obeyed and I listened and I was baptized and I went to church every Sunday and I did all of these things that I was supposed to do. And I worry sometimes that God's going to look at me or he's going to look at us and he's going to say, you know, you were born into the richest country in the history of the earth. You had more comfort, more security, more luxuries than anyone has ever had. And at the same time, at the same time you knew that there were a billion people living with you who could barely afford to keep their kids alive. You tell me, what did you do about that? I want to know what you did to feed those people, what you did to bring those people water, what you did to clothe those people and to give them homes. That's what I want you to tell me about. And I'm afraid some of us, if we think long and hard, might have to honestly say, I don't know if I've ever done one single thing in my life about that. I love this church. I love you all. I want the best for all of us. I want us all to go to heaven. I want to see you in heaven one day. I want to see these kids in Haiti in heaven one day. Uh, and I hope that we can do that. I'm going to close out in a prayer. And then at the conclusion of the prayer, we're going to extend the invitation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this beautiful day that you've blessed us with. We're so thankful for the opportunity we have to be here tonight at the, at the church here at Hoover to, to learn about your works and to learn about all of the things that your church is doing. And we're so thankful for all of the blessings that you give us, Lord. We thank you for the material blessings that we have, the nice homes we have to go to, and our vehicles and the transportation we have and the access to medical care. And Lord, we're so thankful that we don't have to worry about so many of the things that people have had to worry about for forever. Lord, we also pray that you will be with those who don't have those luxuries. We pray that you be with those who don't have clean water. We pray that you be with those who struggle with food security, with those who struggle to afford vaccines for their children, those who have infectious diseases and don't know uh, if they'll be cured. We pray that you'll be for those in in war-torn areas, especially the children, Lord, all over the world, those who are in Sudan and those who are in Yemen and are currently experiencing the, the war there, those in Palestine and Syria and all of the areas, Lord, where, where kids are having to wake up with bombs going off. And we just pray that you'll be with them, Lord, and that in their time of need, in their time of struggle, that you'll help us to remember them, help us to constantly pray for them, and that you will be there for them as well, Lord, and that you will help them that, to see you in those times and to cling to you, and that eventually, Lord, they'll be exposed to your church and that they'll join your church and they'll do good things for you also, Lord. Most of all, Lord, we're so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful for the life that he lived, the example that he was to us. We're so thankful for the sacrifice that he was willing to make on our behalf to go to the cross and and to endure that cruel death so that all of us could have hope to spend eternity with you. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. As we stand and sing.
So 